Thank you for downloading this episode of the 155 Podcast, the public records interview series of all candidates in Hamilton's 2018 municipal election. For more election coverage, visit thepublicrecord.ca where you can sign up for our City Hall newsletter. Episode 22, John Paul Danko, running for City Councilor in Ward 8, recorded on August 28, 2018. John Paul Danko, you are running for City Councilor in Ward 8. Welcome to the 155, the Public Records Podcast Interviews. Thank you, Joey. It's good to see you. Who is John Paul Danko? Well, I'm a civil engineer. I work in a consulting firm, and I'm also a part-time photographer. I have two kids, Sadie and Isaac. Sadie is 12, Isaac is 10, and my wife, Dawn, is actually the public school trustee for Ward 7. Why are you running? That's the question everybody wants to know. It's really three reasons. I'm a civil engineer, so I have 20 years of experience working with municipalities across Ontario. So the experience that comes with that, I think, would actually be a really valuable asset on council. I think that I, as an engineer, I would have a different approach to problems, whereas I come at, at something from you know, a technical perspective versus more of a political perspective. And I think having that different viewpoint would be a real asset for a councillor, especially in a new seat where Ward 8, where we don't have an incumbent. The second reason is I've lived in Hamilton for 40 years for my entire life. And over that time, I've, you know, I've kind of been underwhelmed by the progress that we've made as a city. We have so much potential in this city from the waterfront to all the recreational opportunities on the escarpment. We have a, a real downtown. You know, when I was a kid, I always thought it was so cool that our downtown is literally downtown. And then to all the great neighborhoods that we have on the mountain. So it just feels like we're always so close to realizing that potential as a city, but somehow there's just, you know, whatever it is that's holding us back and, and we never quite get there. So I'm running because I think, you know, as somebody that has a career outside of politics, I have an opportunity to look at issues from a perspective that's not just the next four years election cycle. I can take a bit of a, a longer term approach. And the final reason I'm running is actually really just kind of a personal reason. I have a young family. My kids are 10 and 12, and there's lots of similar families in our neighborhood. Now in the back of my head, when I'm thinking about as my kids are growing up, I'm thinking about, is this the kind of city where my kids are going to want to return and raise their own family? And is this is Hamilton really the kind of city where my wife, Dawn, and I are going to want to stay and grow old? I look at my brother. He lives in Berlin. My sister lives in Vancouver. Even my parents have moved to Port Dover. So I'm like the last one left in our family that still lives in the city. And the reason is that Hamilton just didn't quite offer the lifestyle that they were looking for. So I'm running to do what I can to improve the neighborhoods and communities and help our city evolve into the kind of place that, that attracts the best and the brightest, that has jobs and opportunities and is just an overall great place to live. Do you live in Ward 8, yes or no? Yes. Does it matter if one lives in the community one seeks to represent? It does. Absolutely, it matters. I've lived in Ward 8 for 15 years. That's where my wife and I bought our house, where we've chosen to live to raise our kids. I've lived on the mountain for 40 years. My whole life, I grew up uh, upper Ottawa and Fennel area. 
My kids go to Queensdale School, which is in the ward. My wife works at Mohawk College, which is in Ward 8. Most of our friends live in the neighborhood. So we're very connected to the area. And probably the number one question I get asked when canvassing is, where do you live? So that is something that absolutely does matter to voters. People want to know that you're connected to the community, that you understand what's going on, that you have the historical context of some of the issues or problems or things that are going on in the area. And when I get asked that question, I'm really happy that I can give a straightforward, honest answer. Yeah, I live a couple blocks away or, yeah, my kids play with your kids, right? So it's actually kind of an interesting question for me as well, because I had a choice to run in Ward 7 or in Ward 8 uh, with the boundary readjustment. As it turned out, the boundary line shifted from Upper James to Upper Wellington, and all of a sudden, instead of being in Ward 7, we're now in Ward 8. And when we looked at the statistics, I probably would have a better chance of getting elected if I would have decided to run in Ward 7. I could have used some of my wife's popularity as the area trustee. But what it really came down to is, is I just feel really strongly that the candidate should physically live in the ward that they're running to represent. I honestly think that that's probably one of the number one concerns that voters have. How have you contributed to your community and our city? I've grown up in Hamilton, so I've always been involved in charitable events off and on. But I really got involved with municipal issues, I think it was back in 2012, when the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board decided that they would close Hill Park. And that really caught us by surprise, because how could the board make a decision to close the high school that's in the middle of the mountain, and then on top of that, go decide to build a high school in the middle of a cornfield in the middle of nowhere? So that kind of really got my wife and I paying attention to municipal issues. And then we heard that the board was looking towards doing an accommodation review for the elementary schools. And at the time, our kids were in elementary schools. So that was kind of something that was top of mind for us. So we helped to organize our community. We realized that if we really wanted to prioritize small community schools, that we had to push back against the school board. And we kind of realized that we had to push back pretty hard. And in the end, I think we were really successful in reframing that discussion about the importance of community schools. And and we kind of reset the decision that was ultimately made at the end of that. But what we realized further was if we really wanted to make a change and, and a lasting change, then the only answer was to make some change from within. So we decided that somebody who had to run for trustee, and originally that was actually going to be me, but... The logical choice was that Dawn actually has a background in education. She has her master's and she teaches at the post-secondary level. So she ended up getting the nod to run for trustee. So she was successful. She was elected in 2014. And I think she's made some slow and steady changes at the school board. It's been a really interesting experience. So since then, in 2016, when the by-election came up and it was going to be an open race, I was sort of faced with the same sort of question that Don had. My background is more municipal engineering and infrastructure. So she said to me, well, you know, the reason that she ran for trustee was to make some changes from the inside, have a seat at the table. It's like, if you want to do the same thing and get elected to council, we need to go for it. That's kind of why I ran for the by-election, and we fell just short, but it's a really positive experience. 
And then since then, I was one of the founding members of the Center Mount Neighborhood Association. And we've been pretty involved in our community, running community events at Bruce Park. We've worked with Councillor Skelly to get a splash pad installed at the park. If you look at the map of the Central Mountain, there's not a whole lot of splash pads like right in the middle in our area. So that's a pretty uh, big change and something that's going to be a, a really positive addition to the area. However, there's always more to do, and I feel like a seat on council would allow me to serve my community better and leverage the skills that I already have. What are your two priorities for Ward 8 and two priorities for Hamilton as a whole? My priorities for Ward 8 is really to focus on family-friendly neighborhoods. I'd like to continue the community work that Terry Whitehead has championed. Say what you will about him, but he's actually made a lot of progress on park improvements. I think his winter recreation area is just a fantastic idea for the area. And he's done a lot of work with community events, movie nights in the park, and sports teams and that kind of thing. So that kind of work is something that I would uh, hope to continue if I was elected. The second thing is working with communities and people at the grassroots to identify traffic problems in their neighborhoods. That's probably the top concern that I hear at the door is complaints about speeding and congestion. I'd like to see a more comprehensive approach to installing speed humps and traffic calming and finding ways to stop cut through traffic and that kind of thing. And then also be proactive, building pedestrian-friendly streets and cycling infrastructure. So adding bike lanes isn't just an afterthought. It's kind of a given whenever we do road work that we're going to install better sidewalks and cycling infrastructure and not waiting for complaints to generate something happening. So going out and taking a proactive approach to actually review signal timing and streamline traffic flows and, and that kind of thing. Priorities for Hamilton is the top one, I think, is just finding ways to cut red tape. And I know it, it sounds like a cliche election promise, but red tape at City Hall is a real problem. And we need new business, we need new jobs, and a lot of times the city bureaucracy kind of gets in the way. And it's unfortunate because it doesn't have to be that way. It's a lot of times it's just it's a culture problem. So one of the things is just things simple, like making sure that the different city departments actually pick up the phone and talk to each other. A lot of times I've been talking to, say, the planning department, and they and then you, they send you off to a different department, and you get to that other department, they send you back to this department you came from in the first place, and it's really frustrating. One idea to deal with that might be to have somebody or some staff who are dedicated liaison so that they could help people, the public, navigate the process and the bureaucracy. And the other thing is just an overall priority for customer service. I have a friend of mine who is a manager at Costco, and when we were talking about the customer service training that Costco employees receive, she was telling me when a member goes to the customer service desk with a problem, if that problem is escalated up to the manager level, that's a failure of Costco's customer service policy. It should never get to the manager. They expect their employees to deal with that at the ground level. And at the city, we kind of see that it's reversed, where you're expected to call your counselor first, and then they solve your problem for you, which is kind of the opposite of a true customer service approach. What are three skills you will bring to elected office that make you the best choice to represent Hamiltonians on city council? I have 20 years experience working with different municipalities across the province. 
So when it comes to infrastructure and purchasing, I've seen firsthand what policies work well and some that don't work quite as well. For example, some municipalities uh, insist on always going with the lowest bidder. Others have a much more graded process. They'll grade different bids. And just having a a ground level, seeing how that works along different municipalities, I think would be a good asset to have on council. Besides that, I have experience managing multi-million dollar construction projects. And in Project Management 101, one of the first things you learn is that Once you set a direction, it's so important to stick with the plan. For example, if you're building a bridge, you don't change the design halfway after you start. You see the project through with the design that you started with. The third thing is technical approach to problem solving. I think that I have an ability to assess difficult situations quickly and reach complex decisions at the executive level. And that's something that I think is critically important for a counselor to have, especially a rookie counselor who's going to be thrown into a new situation. So I think I have, you know, my job as an engineer has kind of prepared me a little bit for that role. Hamilton zoning regulations prevent the building of multi-unit clustered housing, which is in scale with existing single-family housing commonly referred to as the missing middle. There are approximately 100,000 Hamiltonians in their 20s and approximately 140,000 Hamiltonians over the age of 65. The missing middle is medium density, transit-connected housing in walkable communities and is important to young renters, first-time owners, and critical for seniors seeking to successfully age in place in the communities they've lived for decades. As a member of City Council, you will need to address housing challenges in Hamilton. You will face opposition to infill development and provincially mandated intensification. How will you respond to concerns about development, and where do you believe mid-density growth should occur in your ward? It's amazing how zoning regulations control the built form. When you start looking at the actual regulations and then you look at houses with two-car garages and strip plazas, you realize that the reason why they're built that way is because they have to be according to the zoning regulations. So the city's population is projected to grow by, I think it's a third in the next 20 years. One third of the housing that's going to be here hasn't even been built yet, which is, if you think about it, that's a huge amount of infill that's going to be required. Now, what's interesting is the Ward 8 population isn't projected to grow by very much. However, I really see that we have an amazing opportunity for transit-connected development along the Upper James Corridor. Townhouses, multiplex, low-rise development where you have commercial development on the main floor and then residential above. It's the perfect model for something like Upper James. It'd be similar to new developments along Appleby Line or Plains Road in Burlington. And really, Upper James, because there's so much asphalt there, it's really kind of a a blank canvas. Now, opposition to low-rise, this type of development, a lot of it is from Communities where they're concerned about traffic or that the development doesn't fit with the character of the existing community. And I think it's important to remember that those are, those are actually really valid concerns. It's not just, oh, I don't want this here. It's people are used to, for example, on a main road, pulling out of their driveway and actually being able to get onto the road. I think it comes down to making sure that the zoning regulations encourage good, high-quality, and functional buildings, and that when we talk about transit-connected development, where maybe we're relaxing some of the parking regulations, that 
we actually have to follow through and provide the transit that that development uh, requires. I think at the city level, those types of opposition can be mitigated, but it really comes down to making sure that our regulations encourage a high quality of development. What is something interesting or unique about Ward 8 that you believe the rest of Hamilton should know? So this is actually a really interesting question because I, I had to rack my brain a little bit. People usually kind of think about uh, Ward 8 as a little bit of a leafy green, sleepy type community. But one thing that I, I did think of, and this is kind of relevant to me living in the north end of the ward, is just how connected Ward 8 actually is to downtown. You don't really think about it because a lot of times we're talking about this divide between the mountain and the city. But historically, Ward 8 has actually had a really strong connection with the downtown area. For example, we have four mountain accesses. I think that's the most across the city. There's the Jolly Cut, the Claremont, the James Mountain Road access, and Beckett Drive. And then we also had, at one time, an incline railway at Southam Park, which opened in 1892 and operated until the 1930s. And that connected the upper of Upper James to the James of Lower James, which is kind of cool because you don't really think about crossing the escarpment as a barrier. But at one time, it was that was the route to go down the mountain. There's also stairs at Southam Park. And from the end of Upper James, you can actually walk to City Hall in about 10 minutes. It's a fairly simple, easy walk, and it, it's that close. What are two changes you will propose to improve city services? It's hard just to think about two changes that could have a profound impact on city services, but I think the big one that's in the works right now is working with the HSR to complete their review of the mountain transit routes. I'd really like to see some smart changes in the route design. I grew up on the mountain, and when I was taking the bus in the 90s, the transit routes were much the same as they are now. So they haven't progressed with the type of development that we've seen from Limeridge Mall to Mohawk College to St. Joe's. I think the, the transit routes, there's a lot of opportunity to, to redistribute those routes and make them a lot more effective without actually changing a lot of the cost or having a lot of overhead implications. And then the second thing is just trying to make sure that when people contact City Hall, that they're put in touch with the right department. It's such a simple thing, but a lot of times when I talk to people in the community, when they've had an issue that they've contacted the city about, they, for whatever reason, don't end up actually talking to the person that has the ability to address their concerns. Knowing who to call shouldn't control if you get help or not. What are two changes you would propose to improve quality of life in Hamilton? Again, it's difficult to think of just two things that you could do to improve quality of life for the citizens in Ward 8 and throughout Hamilton. Quality of life is a whole range of factors, from working towards programs that incrementally improve quality of life, things like buses with working air conditioners, parking meters that actually take credit cards or use a parking app, simple things like that to making sure that you know roads aren't full of potholes. Overall, it's just a holistic approach across the city to make sure that we have a good government and that when we do address things, that we do it well. I think that's the number one thing that people want to see is that their tax money is being invested well. Hamilton City Council decided against ranked balloting. Ranked balloting enables voters to choose by prioritizing candidates they feel qualified for public office and best able to represent them. What is your position on ranked ballots? 
Another interesting question, because I think rank ballots probably would have helped me a whole lot in 2016. But overall, I'm, I'm still undecided. I know London has adopted rank balloting, and I'd like to see the impact in this fall's election. Is there an increase in voter turnout? Is there an increase in engagement? I think we should be able to analyze some of that after this fall's election in London. But overall, I have an open mind. I'm not uh, committed one way or the other. How will you improve civic governance and engagement during the next four years? That's uh, actually a really tricky question with an organization as large as the city of Hamilton. At the ward level, I want to continue encouraging discussion with community groups and individuals in the neighborhoods, with the neighborhood associations. I know this is another thing that Councillor Whitehead does a really great job at, is connecting with people at the grassroots with his regular newsletters and his constituency days, meet and greets. Definitely uh, would see myself continuing with that type of community engagement. I think recorded votes at council will go a long way to help people keep track of their councillor's performance. And I really love the idea of council meetings scheduled with break time instead of the paid meal where they go out and wander in and out. I think it's pretty hard to expect somebody to pay attention and be effective for a council meeting that lasts for the entire day without a break. So I know other municipalities do have scheduled breaks in their council meetings, and I think that's something that I would like to see in Hamilton. And then a lot of it's really just going to come down to who the new city manager is, and I know we're going to get into that. Making sure that the different city departments talk to each other, that there's a collaborative effort within the city. I'm sure you've seen different departments when they're in a meeting together. There's, they're often adversaries. It's really bizarre where you feel like saying, hey, guys, you all work for the city of Hamilton. We're all on the same team here. And to be frank, I think when we do bring in a new city manager, there is some existing city management that is very entrenched in the ways that this is how we do things in the city of Hamilton. And if you don't like it, tough. And I think that some of those people maybe should be encouraged to look for uh, opportunities elsewhere. How will the City of Hamilton's strategic plan guide your decision-making in hiring a new city manager, and what qualities do you seek in a new city manager? Hamilton's strategic plan is actually it's, it's excellent. To be the best place to raise a child and age successfully with the mission to provide high-quality, cost-conscious public services that contribute to a healthy, safe, and prosperous community and a culture of integrity, service, and empowered employees. That all sounds absolutely fantastic on paper. I think looking for the new city manager is really going to set the direction for the next term of council because it's an opportunity to reset the organization from the very top down. As you know, the city manager is council's only employee. And the functioning and the culture of the organization really stems from the type of manager that we end up hiring. As far as finding somebody with management skills, I think that's probably the easiest part is to find somebody that is technically qualified for the job. I think the much harder part and something that I'll be particularly interested in is how have they worked with wherever the municipality that they're coming from. I'm more interested in somebody that has a primary commitment to customer service, to open and transparent government. And I'd like to see that they have demonstrated that they've been able to achieve some of that wherever the position is that they're coming from. 
And on top of that, I would really like to see somebody who has spent at least some of their time in private sector. I think when you come up through public service, and we have great public service employees in the city, of, of course, but I think just to have that overall perspective of how things work and how things are maybe a little bit different in the private sector versus public sector, I'd really like to see a, the new city manager have a different range of experiences all across public service and private. Politics is the art of allocating limited resources and compromising to find solutions. How will you do so? It's interesting answering this question because that actually sounds a lot like engineering, which is something I do every day. Although in engineering, unlike politics, we're usually not that concerned with the optics of the final decision. It's more, is this going to work or isn't it going to work? I think that I have a, a pretty honest and straightforward approach. And I think that's something that goes a long way in the boardroom and people appreciate it where You'll say what's on your mind, and if you make a mistake, you're willing to admit that you made a mistake and move on and, and try something different. It's 2022. The public record is writing a review of the four-year council term that's just ending. What three words do you hope we will use to describe your term on council, and what three words do you hope will describe council as a whole? Three words that I really hope people would use to describe me as a counselor would be thoughtful, open, and a hard worker. I really hope that people see that I approach things with a thoughtful manner, that I'm smart about the positions that I take. I really hope that people understand that I have an open mind about things, not being a part of a political party. I don't have a set ideological position on a lot of things, so I have an open mind. And then I really hope that people see me as somebody that works hard for the community and for Ward 8. The three words to describe council as a whole, I came up with collaborative, transparent, and consistent. Collaboration is something that I think our current council might struggle with a little bit. Transparency is something that the city as a whole definitely struggles with. And consistency is, again, is something that I think we can definitely approve on. So I would really hope that people would see the future council as consistent. Thank you. That's the end of the prepared questions you were sent in advance. Do you have any closing remarks you wish to share? Yeah, overall, I think what I want to reiterate is just how important this particular election is to the city of Hamilton. On one hand, we have a new ward on the mountain. So instead of three wards, we now have four, which means an extra vote for the old city of Hamilton. And there's some really big ticket items that are going to be addressed in the next round of council from LRT to area rating that having that different vote and maybe a, a little bit more progressive um, choice could have a really big impact on the direction of our city. So if you, you're listening to this and that's something that you know, you're interested in, we can always use help. Volunteers, donations are always welcome. Thank you again for joining us. I want to thank the Turner Brant, the Turner Park branch of the, I want to thank the Turner Park branch of the Hamilton Public Library for the use of the sound studio where we recorded this today. This has been episode 22 of the Public Records the 155 podcast. Our interviews with all candidates in the 2018 Hamilton municipal election. The Public Record is Hamilton's local, independent, reader-funded news outlet. This podcast is made possible by members of the Public Records Press Club. Visit thepublicrecord.ca to learn more and listen to all episodes of the 155 podcast. 
Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed. The Public Record is a member of the National News Media Council, a voluntary self-regulatory organization that deals with journalistic practices and ethical behavior. To learn more about the Media Council, visit the Media Council at mediacouncil.ca. Thank you for listening. See you at the polls on October 22nd.